Lord good. Amen. What an honor to be here with you this evening. I want to make sure uh, you understand how blessed you are with great leadership here in this local congregation. The Bible says that we should give honor where it is due, but then it goes a step beyond that and says that those who labor in the word are worthy of double honor. I think we ought to put our hands for the pastor of this local congregation and let God and him know how much we appreciate them. As was mentioned for the past, uh, it would have been 10 years on March 31st, uh, I've served in a pastoral role, and so I understand what it is uh, to bear a sense of responsibility for a local church and what it is to guard that pulpit, and so I don't take the opportunity to stand in uh, any pulpit, regardless of where it might be lightly, and uh, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be here with you this evening. I give honor to the ministry that's here. I know we have several ministers in the congregation. Good to be with my friend, Brother Smith. And you have great district leadership in your youth department in the state of Arkansas. Someone told me a long time ago that God brings people into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And the sooner you can identify where somebody fits in those three things, uh, when you meet them, uh, the relationship will become a whole lot easier. And I learned very quickly after meeting uh, Nate Smith that this was a friendship God gave me uh, for my life. It was not just a reason or a season, and I'm grateful for the friendship of his family. And uh, we're going to get a lot of time together over the next week, so hopefully they still like me by the time the week is over. Amen. Let me sense the presence of the Lord here tonight. Amen. Brother Smith already said it. When we walked in, I walked in that prayer room. I thought this is the kind of atmosphere I feel very much at home with. It was uh, March 31st, 2010. We moved to the city of Halifax to start a church. My wife and I, along with uh, Pastor Justin and his wife, Grace. And uh, God has blessed one church in such a just an amazing fashion by His grace. Today, uh, there's around 130 uh, people there any given Sunday worshiping, a thriving apostolic church, close to 20, 25 nationalities on any given Sunday, uh, owners of a $1.8 million building that was a miracle. We didn't pay for it. We didn't build it. It was a gift of God, and uh, just an incredible story of what God has done in the city of Halifax in Nova Scotia on the east coast of Canada. Uh, but it was returning from the nation of Spain in June of 2016 that God began to deal with us about what our future would look like. And over the following two years and subsequent trips back to Europe and the Middle East, uh, that region of the world, it became increasingly clear that the Lord was preparing us for a transition. And so we began to navigate that and have the necessary conversations. And early in uh, 2019, I had met with Brother Woodward and told him, I said, the Lord is put a great sense of urgency in my spirit about this transition. And he said, do you know where it is? And I said, well, I know the region. And he said, do you know when? I said, I have not a clue. I said, it could be next month, could be next year, could be two years from now. I just know uh, for a while we have been seeking clarity, and I have a sense of certainty about what that was going to look like. And then last September, I was in the nation of Latvia for their national conference, and I was in downtown Riga in my apartment on that Friday morning reading the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. 
And the unnamed character of the story, is the Bible calls him the lad. And he willingly offers the little bit he has, but when he gives it, the disciples take it to the Lord. And uh, in supernatural fashion, it is multiplied and it becomes enough for the thousands that are there that day. As I read that text on that Friday morning, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, This nation is the lad, and here there is bread for the world. And uh, I've learned as I've traveled, most people have never even heard of Latvia, let alone know where it is. And so I understand what God meant when he said it was the lad. And, uh, but I truly believe there is a sense of prophetic significance and divine strategy to what God is doing in that area of the world. And so we're in the process of traveling and uh, developing partners and raising funds. And by faith, I believe we're going to be there the first week of June. And we'll lead a training initiative through Europe and the Middle East. Uh, focusing initially on 10 different countries, and as the Lord opens the door, we will expand from there. But I'm excited about what God's doing. You know, the Bible says that the Lord keeps watch of the nations. And if we're not careful, sometimes we can allow the little things of life to rob us of the reality that God truly does have a global vision, that God has plans for the world. And so that's me born and raised in Canada, but I'm glad the Lord introduced me to the south where there is sweet tea. Just last month, I discovered crawfish, and my Lord, my world was, it was changed for the better. And uh, it just keeps getting better, southern hospitality, and so it's just a delight to be here. Amen. Would you lift your hands, and let's just pray and give God permission tonight. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. I thank you for these people of like precious faith. I thank you for the spirit of prayer that's resting in this church, the great heart of worship. God, I thank you for what we feel. And now we give you permission. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, we ask that you would do what you desire to do, speak what you desire to speak. Let the power of the word and the power of your spirit minister to us. God, we make ourselves available. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. I mean, I want to direct your attention tonight to Genesis, the 8th chapter. I'm going to read a lengthy portion of scripture, but what I have learned in 10 years of church planning is this, is you should never take for granted your audience knows what you're preaching from, and it never hurts us to hear the scripture one more time, all right? So Genesis, the 8th chapter, I'm going to start at verse number 1, right down through verse 11. The Bible says, God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. The waters returned from off of the earth continually. And after the end of 150 days, the waters were abated. The ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. The waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. Now, particular attention these next few verses. It came to pass, verse 6, at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. He sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Verse 8, also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot and she returned unto him into the ark for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him in the ark. And stayed yet another seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. 
Verse 11, the dove came in to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. From this, I'm certain to you, familiar story, I want to preach you for a few minutes on this thought, the tale of two birds. Amen. The tale of two birds. It grieved the heart of God when he looked upon the earth and saw the wickedness in the world. The beauty of his creation was marred by sin. The vile nature of sin, the corruption it had caused. It had ruined marriages. It destroyed families. The world was wicked. It was perverse. And God could only look at this for so long before it demanded a response. The Bible actually says it repented of the Lord. He was so grieved at what he saw that he had actually made man on the earth. His, his grief is so great that he is compelled into action. That God says, I, I must come and deal with the sin of the world. I, I'm going to deal with it the same way I dealt with the sin of Adam and Eve. I'm going to cover it. But God is also just. He's merciful. And so before judgment comes, a way of provision is made. God is going to provide a plan of escape. So he calls a man named Noah and tasks him with the seemingly criticizable task to everybody else. Noah, I need you to build me an ark. Nobody else understands why a boat this build would ever need to be built. They, they can't fathom why, Noah, would you give such time? Why would you invest such resource to do this? This doesn't make sense. And Noah's building this boat that is so large it can house the entirety of the animal kingdom. And just as God gave the blueprints, construction begins. And I'm certain there was public criticism. Skeptics and mockers alike would walk by him day in and day out. But he would not stop. He would not be silenced. He is a preacher of righteousness. He will not stop his message and he will not stop his construction. For he has heard what they've not heard. He's seen what they've not seen. He is on an assignment from God Almighty. Louder than the hammer and the nails was the word of the Lord, though it would not be received. Noah would not stop. He lifts his voice and proclaims the most certain truth that rain is going to come. But the truth is rain has never been seen. He is prophesying something that no human eye has ever seen, no mind can comprehend. And they cannot grasp the reality of what he is telling them. And the construction moves on and days pass by until... The project is near complete and Noah gathers those closest to him, his family. And he calls forth by the help of God, the animal kingdom. And there they come one by one and two by two. And they make their way until the Bible says God closed the door. And all of a sudden, just as the prophet had said, that first drop of rain falls from the sky. And how quickly in that moment the doubters become the believers. When they see what they had never seen before. They feel what no man had ever felt before. The heaven 
heavens are opening and rain is coming forth. And how quickly the attitude of man has changed when they realized what the preacher said was going to happen is actually happening. I'm certain there were those who tried to make their way to Noah's house. They, they went down to where they had walked by the construction site so many days before, hoping somehow, hoping some way that the door was still open, that the chance was still there, that hope was still available. But they were confronted with the devastating reality when they walked that day and got close. Oh, I know the water had just started falling, but soon it was to their ankles and then to their knees and water to the waist. And they're looking for this vessel of salvation. And they are confronted with the sorrowful tale that God closed the door. The Bible said the fountains of the deep were opened up. Water contained within the earth from the time of creation. God opens the well of the earth and water in a fashion unlike never before begins to burst forth. Consider this with me. The depths of the Grand Canyon are filled. The peak of Mount Everest is buried. This is a water unlike anything we've ever seen before. All of creation, the entirety of the earth, marred by sin, destroyed by wickedness, is now buried by water. Can you imagine the emotion of these circumstances? For a moment allow your mind to move from those who are outside of the ark to those who are inside. This ark is congested. It's by no means a carnival cruise ship. I know it's a big boat. But it's really nothing fancy. It's simply the vessel of salvation in the hour of the storm. But the truth remains tonight that safety is always more important than style. And salvation is always more important than comfort. Elder Nathaniel Urson preached a message years ago. He said, the stink is always better than the storm. And here is Noah with his family drifting aimlessly upon the water surface at the mercy of the wind and the wave. And though they are glad for their salvation, the truth remains tonight. The ark was not a comfortable place to be. They are tasked with the responsibility of caring for these animals. I didn't grow up on a farm, but my father did have a couple horses. And I know what it's like to walk out the door in the morning to go to school and be confronted with that not so pleasant smell. And that's two horses on three and a half acres. And this family is living with the entirety of the animal kingdom on a boat with a single window. This is not a pleasant environment, but it's their safety. Months pass by, day after day, week after week. And the truth is, at some point, I think this begins to wear on them emotionally. Spiritually, they bear the burden of the place where they now are. Maybe, just maybe, they entertain the questions just like you and I might. When will this end? Or will this ever end? Are we actually going to survive until the end of the storm? What do we do when this is finally over and the water is gone and we get off this boat? And life as we knew it is never the same. The world has been destroyed. 
So they are tasked not only with the responsibility of building this ark, but being the family that rebuilds all of civilization. It's an unprecedented duty. Here they are at the mercy of the storm, drifting aimlessly on the water. He's not steering this boat. He is in the hands of God. The world they had known was no more. And here he stands peering out the window, perhaps entertaining the questions of his family. Daddy, when will this end? Perhaps his wife had come to him in the night hour, waked him from his sleep and said, Noah, are you sure that you've really heard from God? We've been floating aimlessly here for several months now. And now here's this man of God peering out the window of the ark. And he sees nothing but water. Day after day he rises to look hoping the direction of this boat has changed. Perhaps I'll see something different on this day in this direction. But no day after day it is an endless horizon of water in every direction. There's no opportunity for another perspective. He is limited by what he can see. But he is not limited. By what he can believe. And so he must choose in this moment. Despite the storm and the uncertainty. I will let my faith rest in the word God gave me. And there they are. Floating. 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 At the mercy of the storm. But truly in the unseen hand of God. Until the Bible tells us that Noah sends forth two birds. The first, a raven. The second, a dove. Out of all the birds that are on this boat, I think it merits our attention tonight of the two he did send. Of the hundreds or even thousands that he could have sent forth from the window. The Bible is so specific to denote to us the two types of birds that he chooses to send forth. The first is a raven. He releases it and we hear no tell of it again. The Bible says it continues to go forth to and fro until the waters were dried up. He sends forth that raven from the window of the ark and it never does return. It never comes back to him. It never bears witness of what he was hoping it would bear witness of. And can I tell you tonight the reason why is a raven is a bird that feeds primarily on carrion, which is the flesh of a dead animal. And the reality is, is the effect of judgment on the world had happened. The waters are littered with the carcasses of dead animals. And the raven forth from the window and it knows I need not to return to get nourishment that I so desire. But then he sends forth the dove. The first time the dove sails from the window to come back empty handed. Seven days later Noah says I'm going to try it again. And he sends forth a dove a second time. And when it comes back a second time, it comes bearing witness of precisely what Noah was looking for. The Bible says, here comes a dove with an olive leaf. But what is most noteworthy is not simply what he has, but how he got it. The Bible says it was plucked off. 
meaning to us this was not a leaf floating on the waters. This is not the remnant of a storm. This is not a sign of destruction. But somewhere, Noah, this dove went to where you couldn't go. The dove got to where you couldn't see. And it has plucked a branch off a tree that you could not access from where you were. And it has brought you back evidence, Noah, that though you can't see it where you are right now, though you can't get to it from where you are right now, the dove is bearing evidence that somewhere, somewhere, Noah, the waters are going down. And now here he stands in the midst of the storm with so much uncertainty. But in his hand he bears evidence that though it is not where I am. And though my eye cannot see it. Somewhere I have the proof that the waters are going down. And that the word of God is true. And now he rises to the window again and he looks forth and he sees the same thing he has seen every other day. Water, an endless horizon of water. But in his hand he bears the evidence of the dove. Trust me, I know where I'm going. Because our world feels a little bit like Noah right now. Tossed, feeling like we're at the mercy of a virus. The world is spinning out of control. Fear is gripping our world in a way like never before. And if you're not careful, you might find yourself feeling a little bit like Noah. You might feel like your life is in turmoil. Anxiety is rising. Depression is taking hold. Your life is a mess and you just feel like you're carelessly tossed about at the mercy of the storm that has swept our world. Tossed about by the winds and the waves of difficulty for you. Maybe maybe it's not coronavirus for you. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe there's a plague in your family. A, a difficulty you're trying to press through. Questions you don't have answers for. And like Noah, you just try to muster up the courage to rise. And look from that window hoping that today will be the day you see the waters go down. But the sad truth is it looks the same now as it always has. lost, you feel confused, you feel weary, you feel without hope, you're trying to make sense of things and you cannot make sense of it, you want to believe but you cannot make sense of what God is doing, your your heart is pulled to trust but your mind is pulled by reason, I'm telling you the way of escape tonight is you've got to open up the window and release the dove, the dove that bird used as a symbol of the spirit by divine inspiration in the gospels. Noah first sends forth the raven. But the raven did not return. And when the raven could not bear witness to what he was looking for, then he sends forth a dove. But I've not come tonight just to preach to you a story from a few thousand years ago. And the truth of that, I've come to tell you there is spiritual application buried in this text for you and I tonight. Because every one of us lives with these two birds inside of us. This is what Paul writes of in Romans when he's talking about the war of the flesh and the spirit. And the carnal mind is at enmity with God. The raven, that bird that was content to feast on the dead carcasses of the animals that had been drowned by the flood of judgment. The raven that was content to pick from from the remnants of judgment, from the things of the world. It would not come back to the ark of safety. It had no need. He, He was delighted to feast on the things of the world. But when the dove goes forth, it surfaces and it swings over the waters. It flies through the air looking for that evidence and nothing. But he, unwilling 
to take the remnants of judgment comes back to the ark of safety. And seven days later, the dove is sent forth a second time. This time, as I've already said, he comes back bearing evidence that somewhere, Noah, the waters have abated. They've gone down. And I have plucked off this branch to bring you evidence that though you can't see it from where you are and you can't get to it from where you are, if you'll just let me out and you'll just let me fly, if you'll just let me go, I can bring you something from a place you cannot get. I've come tonight to tell you what the answer is for the world, what the answer is for your dilemma. You've got to open up the window of your heart and you've got to let the Holy Ghost move. You need a move of God in your heart. You need the demonstration of the Spirit in your life. Paul said to that church in Ephesians 1, he talking about the Holy Ghost. He said, let me tell you what it is. It's the earnest of your inheritance. Literally, it means it's the down payment. Anybody here ever bought a house before? Did you pay in full for it? Cash? Most people don't. But the bank makes a little agreement with you. You provide X amount of money as a down payment. That your word is good. And then you just make some payments on it. And eventually, the house you call yours will actually be yours. Because it right now really belongs to the bank. This, my friend, is what the Holy Ghost is. So you thought the Holy Ghost was the greatest thing. No. The Holy Ghost is a taste of what is to come. He said it's the earnest, it's the down payment of your inheritance. God gave you this as proof or validation that he is good on his word. I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost as evidence that there's something greater coming. But I'm just going to give you this. And I'm going to keep on making deposits. There's moments in time I'm going to just come along. And I'm going to make another payment. I'm going to put another deposit into your spirit. I'm going to gift you something by the Holy Ghost. I'm going to allow my grace to be sufficient to you. It's the earnest of your inheritance. And I don't know if you understand this or not. But I hope you will here in just a moment. What happens when you come into environments like this. In the midst of a storm. When the world's in upheaval. And there's turmoil in your life. And the Holy Ghost starts moving. If we were to visually depict the work of the Spirit, it's like this. It's like God goes to heaven. And he plucks something off that tree of life in heaven. And he comes back down into this church sanctuary. And says, oh, what did you come here needing tonight? Did you need peace for your mind? Did you need joy for your heart? Did you need healing for your body? Well, just a minute. Because one day, I'm going to take you somewhere where there will be no need for this. Because there will be no sorrow. There will be no sadness. There will be no sickness. So I'm going to go where you can't go right now. I'm going to go where you can't see. And I'm going to bring you back something as evidence that my word is true. The Holy Ghost, earnest of our inheritance. Let me just tell you what I feel. I, I talked about this this weekend, the hyphen retreat. And I know you don't know me, but I hope you'll trust me. If not, we judge it and we'll go from there. But this coronavirus has our world in turmoil right now. 
I don't think since the Second World War there has ever been something that has caused such global pandemonium. In fact, if things keep moving the way they have in the past 48 hours, there's a very high likelihood that this nation could escalate from city lockdowns to a national lockdown. I mean, this is unprecedented. And respectfully, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but I have done a little bit of reading. What are we at now? How many deaths in the world? 4,000, 6,000, 6,000, and this has been going on since December. I don't know if you remember the H1N1 outbreak in 2009. The conservative estimate that there was 284,000 deaths in 12 months. The more liberal estimate was that there was 550,000 deaths in the world. But they didn't trust the reporting of some country. And so the World Health Organization choose to err on the side of safety and say 250,000. Numerically, statistically, there is no comparison to the severity between the two. But the outfall, it's almost, it makes no sense. Fear. In fact, I said this at lunch today. If someone knew how to get on a computer and hack some, can shut down CNN, MSNBC, and Facebook, this would probably all go away. Because the greatest threat to what's happening in the world right now is not that virus. But it's what that virus is causing. And the spirit of fear has been loosed upon the world. It's the spirit of Antichrist. The Bible says the spirit of Antichrist will come and seek to wear out the saints of the Most High. And the spirit of fear has been, I, I mean, I, I get on Facebook and so many, the children of God, just nonsense. Gripped by fear. Driven by anxiety. The world is in turmoil. I'm not saying be careless. Let's wash our hands. Let's sanitize. Let's, if you're sick, stay home. But the fear has gripped our world. and It's paralyzing the church. Such is the state of man. He has reason to fear because his future is at jeopardy. He's at the mercy of the storm. And here it looks like the church is at the mercy of the storm. We've got... Churches canceling and churches readjusting. It feels like we're at the mercy of the storm. But what you can't see is the hand of God, Noah. I'm actually steering this ship. Friday night, the Lord spoke to me in the middle of that service we were having. He said, I have allowed this to come upon the earth because my church has become entrapped by tradition. And I have allowed this to break the spirit of tradition and only those who walk in true revelation will thrive in this season. I know it's new for North America, but friend, this is not new for the rest of the world. We've got churches in communist countries that are thriving and growing by the millions. I, I, there's a lady in China right now who six days a week for eight to 12 hours a day makes appointments and teaches Bible studies one hour at a time, baptizes them in a bathtub, prays them through the Holy Ghost and sends them out the door and another one comes in. And so... The requirement to minister in an unorthodox way is not new for much of the body of Christ, but it is getting a little bit new for North America. It's challenging our traditions, challenging our perceptions, forcing us to find ways to minister to people in an unorthodox manner. But this spirit of fear is gripping the church, trying to paralyze us from moving forward. And only those who walk in true revelation, who hear the voice of God and do what God says are going to thrive in this season. You watch it. 
And I know it looks like we're at the mercy of what the government decides and we're at the mercy of what this sickness might do. But I'm telling you right now, the hand of God is steering this thing. Just putting us in position. I got up this morning, I was praying. And I'm really not smart, but when I, when I discern that there's some smart people or gifted men among us, I, I do know enough to shut up and listen. Now, years ago, heard Brother Willoughby talk about early morning prayer. He talked about how spirits move through people. And so I got to thinking this morning, I was praying, my goodness, we are being given a unique opportunity right now. Because they're shutting everything down. Sports stadiums that would typically be filled with 15 to 25,000 people all through this country are empty. Malls are closing, restaurants are closing, people have nowhere to go but their home, and so there is a stillness. Anybody here ever get up real early in the morning? I mean before the sun rises, and it's just, there's such calm. We, we just, we use carnal terms, calm, peace. The reason there is, it's, it has nothing to do with the weather or because the sun's not, no. The reason there is such peace is because the world is still at rest. There's people not about, and see, spirits move through people, and so there is this calmness in the realm of the spirit. And I'm telling you right now what God is doing. God has allowed this to come to be, and all this cancellation is bringing this stillness in the realm of the spirit. And it's going to give the church a unique opportunity. This space of time, I don't know how long this is going to last. I personally think in another two, three, four weeks, it'll be something else. Sure, it'll still be in the world, but the hysteria will have ceased. And, but we have this little space of time where God has allowed this to bring the world to a standstill. You see, the enemy thinks that he has brought this and that the fear is going to stop the church. But here's what's going to happen to those who walk in Revelation. The Bible says they would not have crucified the Lord had they understood who he was. Had they really known that Jesus was the true Messiah, he would not have done what he did. He thought that this was how he would conquer him. But the truth was he found out I played into my own defeat. I thought that this was the end. This was my way to, to stop the miraculous, stop salvation, stop hope. When in reality, when I crucified you, I killed myself. I say, what's happening right now? The spirit of the Antichrist thinks that he has enough fear in the world to paralyze the church. But here's what's going to happen to those who step up and walk in Revelation. They're going to recognize the space of time we have. That God is granting us an opportunity to take dominion in the spirit without opposition. Paul said this to the church at Corinth. He said, there is an effectual door opened unto me, yet there are many adversaries. He said, I see the opportunity, but there's so much opposition. And so what God has allowed this to do is bring this sense of stillness to the world. That people are just at home. The world's on pause. And it's like the spirit world is at a standstill. Because spirits move through people. And people aren't moving. Spirits move through ideas and philosophies and agendas of man. But government offices are empty right now. And so we have this opportunity as the church to advance in the spirit without opposition. But the sad tale of where we are right now is most of the church is so bound in fear and caught up in the hysteria 
because they are submitting to what CNN says and not to the Bible says that where there is no vision that word vision means prophetic revelation that the people perish or they cast off restraint and what's happening right now is we have so many people that call themselves apostolic who are not walking in true revelation that they're casting off restraint they're living carelessly and they are giving themselves over to the spirit of fear. And they're caught up in anxiety and caught up in depression. Worry what's going to happen. Because they are trusting and submitting themselves to what they perceive naturally. And not what they perceive spiritually. And I can only believe that if the Lord has truly orchestrated this night. And allowed us to be together for this moment. Then it's because God wants to extend you the invitation. To do something in the spirit. In the next couple of weeks. That could change the trajectory of your life. In this church. And who knows where in the world. That God allows you to intercede for. The question is. Do you live by the raven? Or do you live by the dove? Do you put your head to the pillow tonight and go to sleep thinking about the fact that the raven has not come back? Or are you going to stop for a minute and consider that what's in my hand is evidence that God's word is true? Come on, if you've ever received the gift of the Holy Ghost right now, God put something in you as evidence that his word is true. He is not a man that he should lie. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The question is, do we really believe the word of God? That God has given this as a promise of what is to come. Noah, I've given you this. I've put it in your hand as evidence that though you cannot see it naturally, though you cannot get to it in the flesh, that somewhere what you need is there. And I'm telling you tonight, God has put the Holy Ghost in us. God has let His Spirit move here, now, tonight, as evidence that what we need cannot be seen naturally. We cannot get to it naturally. What you need, hey, let me be a little bit funny for a minute. What you need is not more toilet paper. You need God. You need to let the dove go and let the spirit move. And you need insight that comes from the Holy Ghost. Come on, would you lift up your hands right now? Come on, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. I'm telling you, 
I'm telling this church tonight, what we have wanted, but been opposed by, what we have pursued, but have struggled to receive because of the opposition, the Holy Ghost. There is a space of time. Just the next few weeks, there's a space of time that God will allow you to pursue something in the Spirit. And there will be no opposition. You know what happened when Noah came off that boat? The Bible said he built an altar unto the Lord and offered a sacrifice. And when God smelled that sweet savor. smelled something like that in a while. It's been a while, Noah, since somebody's built me an altar and I smelled that kind of scent. That's how we got in this mess in the first place. That's how the world got so marred by sin. It's because there wasn't enough altars, Noah. That's why I had to do what I had to do. recipient of the renewal of covenant that God gave Adam. You know what that covenant was? Be fruitful and multiply. It was the blessing of growth and dominion. Noah. That scent of sacrifice reminded me of what I told Adam. Because of what you've done in the time of the storm, you have positioned yourself to be the conduit by which I bring that back to the earth again. There's going to be a whole lot of people who get so caught up in fear and are given to the anxiety. The Bible says be anxious for nothing. I've marveled. I, I, I have watched those who've been diagnosed with cancer, died by cancer. The cancer crippled their body. It, their body was the only part of them that ever touched. It didn't mess with their mind. It didn't change their spirit. They were as happy as they could be. In fact, there was a very dear friend of our family, an assistant pastor of a church in Ontario, was diagnosed with cancer, had seen all kinds of specialists, was getting treatment. They were praying for his healing. Men were coming and prophesying, you're going to be healed. And I felt like the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, I am not going to heal you. And I wrote him a letter. I said, Brother Bridges, I'm not sure that what you've been told is coming is actually going to come. But Paul wrote to the church at Rome and talked about while we wait for the redemption of our bodies. We like to talk about the redemption of our soul, our salvation. Paul said sometimes... It's the redemption of our bodies. And I said, while you wait for that day, just remember this. And then Paul goes on to tell them about how to live when you're waiting. Then you're healed. You die. The day he died, he laid in that hospital bed, and there was a whiteboard hanging over his head with these words on it that I put in that letter. I said, Brother Bridges, either way, you win. And there on that board were the words, either way, I win. Oh, it took his body. 
that he lived in perfect peace. His family would come in and he would laugh and joke and enjoy and be anxious for nothing. I'm telling you, the spirit of fear is rampant. And what fear causes is unbelief. And so we've got all these people who are getting caught up in the spirit of our age who are going to miss this divinely orchestrated moment to advance the kingdom in a way unlike never before. But Noah, I like that smell. You, Noah, are going to be the recipient of the grace, the power, and the authority promise that is necessary be fruitful and multiply so here's what I'd like to tell you over the next few weeks this church your family you have the opportunity to let the dove fly have a move of the Holy Ghost enter into prayer Enter into intercession. You have the opportunity to build an altar unto God and offer a sacrifice. And when he smells the scent of that sacrifice, he's going to look upon you. He's going to say to you the same thing he said to Noah. You can be fruitful and multiply. I'm telling you right now, you could do something in the next four weeks that would position you for the fulfillment of what God has spoken to you time and time again that you wouldn't fill these pews with the problem is we encounter a little opposition sometimes and we start to retreat and so God says alright I can allow what I want to allow and I can do what I want to do to put you in the position that is necessary to make you pray in the way I need you to pray to bring my will to pass. Noah built an altar and God smelled the sacrifice and said, Noah, I've been waiting a long time to smell that. And I'm telling you, what God is doing in our world right now is forcing the church into a position Where if we're going to survive, it's by doing what Noah did. Because it's been a long time, God says, since I've smelled that. And I'd like to smell it again. I'd like to smell the sacrifice, Noah. Would you stand together right now? Would you just lift up your hands to the Lord? Come on, would you lift up your voice and just enter into prayer right now?
Come on, fear, you have no hold on me. Come on, perfect love casts out all fear. Hear me now, the Bible says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Power simply means your ability. Love speaks to your motive. Those words, sound mind, it just means the ability to choose, to make a good decision. God says, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but I have given you both the ability and the motive to make the right decision. But fear so torments your mind. The Bible says, fear hath torment. It torments your mind to such a state that you can't think clearly. You start making crazy decisions. You're doing things that aren't necessary. You're, you're living in a state that's not healthy. Fear hath torment. And this is, I tell you, the spirit is loose in the world right now. And when we should have the wisdom and the discernment and the revelation to understand what is happening and to enter into a season of prayer and take ground and dominion in the Spirit. We're running around like chickens with our heads cut off trying to figure out if we're even going to survive. And My goodness, I was in a car with somebody the other day and a man was on the phone talking about this and he was talking about, well, if we lose power and if they shut the power down and I'm thinking, my you think they're going to turn the power switch to the United States of America because there is a virus in the world? How do you go from where we are to something so illogical? I'll tell you how. Fear. Fear. Fear hath torment. The reason the enemy would desire to torment you and blind you to this Because he knows if God can open the eyes of your understanding through the spirit of wisdom and revelation and give you prophetic insight to what is actually happening in our world right now and the space of grace, the time, the divinely appointed time. To enter, the Bible says you are seated in heavenly places. Don't be so caught up with where you're seated naturally that you forget where you're seated spiritually. Oh, I know you might be caught up in the middle of a pandemic on the earth. But for a minute, would you get in the spirit and understand the dominion God has given you? Come on, we're seated with him in heavenly places. Look, when I was up this morning praying over this day, feeling out where I felt the Holy Ghost was taking me, this, I knew this was the, the vein I was going to go in as we're pulling into the parking lot. 
Brother Nate says, so you see this water there, that, that's, that's the Arkansas River. I said, yeah, I said, it looks like it's high right now. Maybe it always looks like that. He said, no, they actually just had a flood. He said, you see all those houses down there? He said, a lot of those were flooded, two to three feet of them. So I trust you, you, you people here locally, you understand a little bit about what we're preaching with the flood. You've been through the flood. So you have lived it locally. Now it's happening globally. Do you think maybe, just maybe, maybe, God was trying to position you with insight on the front end of this thing. Because he wanted to use this church. He wanted to use your family. He wanted to use the people here right now. Rather than being the people that are running and trying to catch up with what's happening in the world. Just maybe God wanted to give you a little insight. Just maybe God wanted to give you local dominion over that spirit. So you could help exercise global dominion over that spirit. I hope you understand that prayer is not bound by geography. What you pray in just a few moments has the power to go beyond these walls, beyond these borders, to any city, to any nation, and bring down the stronghold that the enemy is trying to establish right now. You've been through the flood. I know it was a little bit of inconvenience. I know it messed with your stuff a little bit, but you're still here. I'm still standing. This is what I've learned. When I came through the flood, I had the unprecedented responsibility, Noah, to rebuild. See, that flood buried all the problem in the world. And now Noah has the responsibility to rebuild it the way God wants it built. I'm telling you what I know in the Holy Ghost. You can receive it if you'd like to or not. But the apostolic church is becoming so ensnared by tradition. Oh, I know we're not like the Catholic church. We're nothing like them. I don't know if Catholicism is as big down here as it is at home. But the French Catholics, they rule our area of Canada. And we like to criticize them for their tradition. But we've got our own. And there's nothing wrong with tradition. Until we become so bound by it. That when the spirit moves, when the dove wants to go, we're still waiting on the raven. Honey, the raven ain't ever coming back. Because it's content to feast on the things of the world. And what God has passed judgment on. And that earthly system that is buried beneath the water. Noah knows when I get off this boat, I have the responsibility to rebuild it the way God wants it built. And the reason God is allowing this season of sifting in the world is because there was a little bit of trajectory. But we weren't quite in alignment with the revelation God was trying to give us. So he says, all right, I, I can allow some things to happen. To put you in position. To make sure you build this the way I want to build it. Hello, Mokonaya Shaka.
Here's what I feel, and then we're going to, in fact, you can keep playing, but we're not going to sing. We're going to pray. But you can play softly. Here's what I feel, and then we're just going to go into prayer. The Bible says that the blessing the Lord pronounced on him was to Noah and his sons. It's my understanding from the drive over here, Pastor. We've got a lot of family here right now. And I don't quite know what this means, but this is what I feel. That just as Noah had gathered his family together, and there was this family blessing that God used to rebuild the world. I believe God has drawn the family together in this house. And there is a blessing being pronounced on the family ministry of this church. And like he said to Noah, go be fruitful and multiply. Through the family that's right here. There's going to be a gateway of ministry that brings the season of fruitfulness to this church that you have waited for. But I'll tell you how it is enacted. God has to smell the scent of sacrifice. And I'm challenging you tonight in the Holy Ghost. In the next three and four weeks, to give yourselves to prayer. To give yourselves to intercession. To war against what the Antichrist is trying to do in the world right now. To advance the kingdom of God. To take spiritual territory. To be led of the Spirit. You may wake up one day and God says, I need you to travail over the country of Italy. And you may go to bed the next night and the Holy Ghost may say, I need you to get out of bed right now. I need you to travail for the city of, for the state of Washington. And you may be on your lunch break one day next week and God may say, I need you to go sit in your car right now. I need you to travail.
for the nation of Spain. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost that God would desire to put a, a measure of authority on this church that would allow you to influence the spirit realm all over the world. And as you delight the nostrils of God with the scent of sacrifice and the sound of intercession, the Lord's going to look back on this local congregation and He's going to say, be fruitful and multiply. And as you sow in the Spirit to the four corners of this earth, I tell you, God will draw them from the four corners of this county and it'll be too many for you to fit in this building. Come on. Come on, we're here. God brought us here for this moment to be used by Him for His glory. Come on, would you lift up your hands right now? Come on, would you lift up your hands? Lift up your voice. Yeah, 